thanks again, as always, for listening. I appreciate anybody who listens to even one episode, and I appreciate everyone who's listened to so many. You keep me going. I'm so excited to share that now official on Patreon. You can find my Patreon page, become a member. It's patreon.com backslash chills at will podcast Peter Real. Again, that's patreon.com backslash chills at will podcast Peter Real. My name, of course, is P-E-T-E-R-R-I-E-H-L. Patreon.com backslash Chills at Will Podcast Peter Real. You can become a member today. The page is officially launched. There are three tiers of membership. Official patron membership tier is $3 a month. And with that, you'll get access to all interview episodes when they're published, mostly on Tuesdays with some published on Fridays. There are two to four interviews published each month. Lastly, you'll receive the monthly newsletter with reading recommendations, literary event calendar, and the Chills at Will podcast news, and you'll get a shout-out on a future episode. That is the official patron tier of membership for $3 a month. There's the $5 a month for the all-access patron. With the all-access patron membership, you'll have access to all new interview episodes. Each month, like I said, there are two to four interview episodes. You'll get access to those as well as a monthly bonus episode or two that is an interview or an exploration of themes through two or three texts. One example would be an episode that I did called Righteous and Justified Anger that was explored through the works by Langston Hughes and Ralph Ellison or The Power of Flashback was one episode which explored the endings of The Godfather Part 2 sleepers and that was then this is now with the all access patron membership you'll also receive a refrigerator magnet with the chills at will podcast logo and the monthly newsletter with reading recommendations literary event calendar and the chills at will podcast news you will get a shout out on a future episode too with the vip patron tier which is ten dollars a month you'll get access to all episodes a monthly newsletter with reading suggestions and a calendar of literary events and updates on the Chills at Will podcast, access to a monthly AMA, Ask Me Anything, and a t-shirt with the Chills at Will podcast logo. There are two to four monthly episodes and one or two bonus episodes, which are interviews or discussions of themes as seen through multiple texts. VIP patrons will also receive a special shout-out on a future episode. I encourage you to please join Patreon for the Chills at Will podcast. As I say all the time, this is truly a labor of love. This is truly a DIY operation. I started in April of 2020, and it has been an absolute pleasure. 99.999% fun. I've gotten to interview people like Disha Filia, what? Matt Bell. Brandon Hobson, Luis Alberto Orrea, Jean Guerrero, Gustavo Arellano, Taylor Bias, Gabby Bates, Alice Elliott Dark, Nadia Owusu, and so, so, so many more. Did I say Jess Walter? Did I say Jeff Perlman? Ingrid Rojas Contreras, Jamil John Cochai, Morgan Talty, Sadie Shore Parks. 
Rachel Yoder, Vanessa Angelica Villarreal, Kirsten Chen, Sam Quinones, Ion Grillo, Raina Kelly, Zach Harper, Michael Torres, Tracy Cato Kirayama, S.J. Sindhu, Roberto Lovato, Todd Goldberg, Steph Cha, Noel Kassler, Reina Grande, James Tate Hill, Navdeep Dylan Singh, Nikisha Elise Williams, Mia St. John, Susan Muladi Daraj, Sarah Borjas, and the list goes on and on. Future episodes include conversations with Allegra Hyde, with Justin Tinsley, Jose Antonio Vargas, Yasmin Ramirez, Kai Harris, Laura Worrell, so, so, so many cool people. Patreon.com backslash Chills at Will podcast Peter Real. What are you waiting for? See you over there. Hello, I am Pete Real, a high school English and Spanish teacher, an avid reader, and an aspiring writer. Thank you for listening to the Chills at Will podcast, in which we explore the visceral beauty of literature and its connection to our culture, our history, and ourselves. Welcome to episode 163 of the Chills of Will podcast. It's a pleasure today to be joined by Margot <laughs> Candela was born and raised in Los Angeles and began her writing career when she joined Glendale Community College as a student newspaper. She transferred to San Francisco State University as a journalism major and upon graduation began writing for websites and magazines before writing her first two novels, Underneath It All and Life Over Easy. She returned to Los Angeles to raise her son and wrote More Than This and goodbye to all that. The Neapolitan Sisters is her fifth novel and her first after a decade-long hiatus from writing. She now lives in San Francisco. Good evening. How are you? Pretty good. How about yourself? Good. I mean, after a decade-long hiatus, it's like people waiting for like that next Dr. Dre album after so many years. <laughs> like, man, this um, you you nailed it. And we're going to talk about that. But congratulations on the Neapolitan Sisters. And thanks Thank for joining you. me. Anything you My wanted pleasure. to add to the bio? Anything that I got wrong? Uh, well, there's a lot of stuff that happened between <laughs> those ten, <laughs> between goodbye to, to all that and Neapolitan sisters. But I think, um, you know, that's for therapy. <laughs> right. <laughs> Thanks again so much for joining me. I'm excited to talk to you. I love to to you know to go back to the beginnings, uh, beginning of reading and language and, and words. Now, with, with your parents, both of you from Mexico, is that correct? Yes. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, was, was Spanish your first language? Did you learn them concurrently? I had um, two older sisters, um, and they were already in school. Uh, so we were always bilingual. Okay. But um, I don't recall ha- ever having a problem with going from Spanish to English. Um, mm-hmm. So it was, you know, it, it just was normal. 
um, yeah. but we, you know, we went to school in, in, in um, Lincoln Heights, you know, for kindergarten, first grade and such. I did. Um, and it was all in English, but I never had a problem with going back and forth with, I think until I got older, mm-hmm. you know, then it was primarily, we were all in, I know it was always a mix. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Did, was that something where your parents would be like, Hey, you know, if you're going to speak Spanish, speak Spanish or was Spanglish. Okay. My mother is notorious for the Spanglish. Ah. My father, not so much. My father, I can, I, he, we basically converse in Spanish. Mm-hmm. And I think one of my biggest achievements is making, being able to make him laugh in Spanish, right? Ah. Which is, you know, kind of a hot trick on my part. Ah. Uh, plus, you know, he's very stingy with his laughter. So um, <laughs> my mother is, she's a, she will go back and forth within the same sentence, nice. you know, and then the, the made up words there too, also. One of the wonders of the world, right? Spanglish is so incredible. It, you think it's uh, the right word until somebody looks at you funny. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to put you on the spot, but any, any good jokes in Spanish? Usually what we do is we make fun of each other. So it's, it's kind of uh, particular. Okay. 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 It's one of those families. Yeah. I heard a good one recently. It's, uh, ¿listas? ¿Listas? Mm-hmm. ¿Qué es la broma? Okay. ¿Qué, qué dice? ¿Qué dijo la uva verde a la uva morada? No sé qué dijo. Respira, tonto. <laughs> okay. Right? Okay, moving on. You can tell on. that one to your grandma. Uh, exactly, keep it clean. Gotta keep it clean. I don't know any of the Pepito jokes. I'm keeping myself clean. Okay. I, I'd love for you to, to talk about 3320 Pepper Avenue. <laughs> the library. Yeah. What's, what's the significance for you? That was one of the only places uh, besides catechism in church that we were allowed to go to at you know not, not because we because we wanted to like we didn't want to go to church and we didn't want to go to catechism <laughs> uh but we, that was the only way we got our, our allowance but we were allowed to go to the library as much as we wanted to on our own and uh that's where i discovered um how wonderful books are you know and just the the endless possibilities that you mm. could uh, find at a library. Like there was a whole place dedicated to whatever you wanted. Um, and it was a really beautiful, interesting building. Um, so mm. I still have a, a lot of great memories of, uh, you know, of the library. And I wish I would have uh, like realized at the time how special it was other than it was just like, you know, if I don't feel like watching TV, I can go to the library. Kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. One of the one of the greatest inventions of humankind, right? The library. I mean, yes. I mean, it's and it's free, you know, it's and free. It, it's uh, and the people there, for the most part, you know, you know, you get some oddballs, but they <laughs> really do have a love of reading and books oh, yeah. and information and helping, yeah. and they're plugged into their community. Uh, mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's a wonderful resource. Totally. When I when when I like when I'm trying to demonstrate maybe to my students or my kids or whatever, like somebody who loves their job, like one of the first that comes to mind is a librarian, right? Well, it's a, it's a calling. Yeah. You know? It really, yeah. really is. I mean, you don't do it for the money and the glamour. That's no. for sure. No. no. <laughs> it's like the, it's like the, you know, back, I mean, they still have the call numbers, of course. Remember, you know, pre-internet and all that, like the call numbers, and they would be so excited to like, oh, the 700s, you know, social <laughs> studies, and like, knew like the back of their hand. Right? Yeah. Yeah. What, what were you reading at the library? What were you into? Um, I worked my way from like the kids section, right, and then the young adult section into uh, nonfiction um, 
and then just like the classics. Um, and then I also was a huge, cause we read so much. I mean, mm. we, we read as much as we ate and drank, you know? Uh. So, uh, I read a ton of paperbacks. Uh, those were kind of like desserts, uh, because mm. you just consume them yeah. really fast. And there was always another one. And I just remember standing there and turning the little display and looking at the spines, uh, a lot of Stephen yeah. King too. I mean, okay. those were always really good, immersive, fun reads. Fun? Yeah, I mean, because okay. it was just an <laughs> enjoyable story. I mean, yeah. you knew you were going to get a really great middle. I mean, sometimes, I'm, okay, I'm not going to talk smack about Stephen King, but you know, sometimes the endings were a little, you know, the spider thing always kind of got me. After, he had a he has a spider. thing with spiders. Oh. I don't know what his issue is, but he has one. <laughs> did, did he write? Did he write Arachnophobia? Is that his book? I don't know. I don't okay. recall that I one, but I just remember there was a lot of um, giant spiders here. Yeah. And there. Mm. Did Did you feel Did you feel represented in what you read? Did you feel like you read no. about no no period. and it didn't even occur to me that I wasn't being represented. I was just there to read. I was just a voracious reader. Um, I don't, I think that awareness didn't happen until much, much later as far as what my voice meant to me um, and uh, you know, my unique point of view. That never occurred to me while I was at the library. I think I was reading with just open eyes, uh, not necessarily uh, looking for anything except for a really good story yeah as you got into into high school and college and so did i mean did you find you know who were the writers and the writing that really inspired you thrilled you was you know were you reading some like hey they also are you know bilingue or you know someone from my area or was it again just like the story the story the story it was always the story yeah. i think i just i i think until this day i mean i a good good writing is good writing it doesn't mm -hmm. matter who does it um, and that's what my, you know, I am a Latina and I do write from a Latina perspective and I do write Latina and Latino characters, but my goal is to tell a good story. So whoever reads it can relate to the story, you know, and maybe learn a little something about something mm -hmm. they don't know or someone they don't know. But, uh, I don't necessarily, um, I mean, it's a privilege to be able to do, to do what I do. Um, and to be able to share my perspective um, is, I mean, first of all, it's kind of like, where, where does she get off, you know? <laughs> uh, but, um, you know, I think, especially now when people are, when you do notice that certain stories are being told again and again by the same people, um, diversity uh, does matter uh, because it normalizes um, a different perspective, you know? And I, I think with the Neapolitan sisters, one of the things I wanted to kind of blow up was the, uh, the you know, the kind maternal tamale making mom in mm. cliche, mm. Um, where I knew I was taking a risk by basically saying the mom in, in the Neapolitan sisters is not a good mother. Mm. Um, and that was really risky because people don't uh, take kindly to you talking smack about Mexican mommies, <laughs> you know? And I was like, I'm a mother myself. And I had to, you know, as I was raising my son, I had to take a hard look in the mirror and see where I failed him. Um, and so I was really interested in exploring a, uh, you know, a failing of a parent of two parents mm. through the perspective of three sisters. Mm -hmm. um, 
And I think that's something I was at my age and what I've been through and, you know, where I am in life, I was ready to just do it, you know, mm. and, and without apology and without overly explaining myself. Right. Um, right. And I think that's one of the things that um, was risky, uh, mm -hmm. you know, because I didn't, I, you know, I didn't explain how bad the mother was, but uh, she's not a good mom. And the dad, you know, is a loving father, but an ineffectual parent. Ineffectual so, is the word for sure. Yeah, but you know, who doesn't, who can't relate to that? I mean, mm. every, you know, parents fail all the time and some of them do it in spectacular fashion. Right, <laughs> right. We learn a lot from our parents about what to do or what not to do, right? Yes. I mean, I, I'm really grateful for my parents, uh, you know, good sense of humor and, you know, just uh, being, they raised me to be a decent person, but I knew when I went into raising my son, there were certain things I wasn't going to do and tried not to do. And, mm. you know, um, my kid is uh, basically normal. So <laughs> <laughs> I think I did an okay job. <laughs> yeah, there you go. There you go. Mm. You've done a lot of work um, before this. This is your fifth book and the Neapolitan Sisters. You know, I'm, I'm, I like to ask about like the seeds for the book. And that would probably, you know, intersect with, with some of the others, right? I mean, it's a 10 year hiatus. Mm -hmm. I don't know if it's exactly 10 years, a decade long. Pretty much. Yeah, yeah, I would say so. Yeah. And but, you know, just like um, I mean, were you working on this? I mean, I got I just feel like this is uh, just like a coming together. Like it's the book. The book is a saga. It doesn't take place over a lot of years. I mean, there are flashbacks, of course, mm -hmm. but it's mainly what, 2003? 2003, a month. Yeah, right. Yeah. Right. Exactly. You know, around the, in the marriage time and stuff. But like, I guess just like, you know, were you working on this and like, like 25 years ago, you had some ideas for this, but it never went anywhere. Like, I mean, is this, is this book something you wrote like beginning to end in two years or it goes way back? How does, how does it work with the hiatus and just like the seeds for this particular book? I honestly, I think I start definitely started around 2003 because that's where it's set and that's where I decided to keep it. Uh, and I had a complete, completed draft uh, within a, a year and oh. But it was rough, right? And it yeah. was short and it was rough. And I would open it here and there. And then I wrote other books in between the other, you know, uh, mm -hmm. Life Over Easy, Underneath It All, and Goodbye to All That, and uh, More Than This. And the tone of this book, even though it was a rough draft, was, other than the humor that was there, um, it was so much different than what I had written um, and I had an agent at the time who was confused as to what I was trying to do. Um, mm. And I knew and some, you know, I didn't have that support system. Uh, and I also wasn't ready to take the book as far as it needed to go. So it sat in a draft for years and years and years uh, mm. until, uh, and I would open it every so often um, and just kind of look at it and then put it away. Uh, but it was, you no, know, it was a solid story already yeah. and uh i remember you know it was always in the back of my mind and when tony kirkpatrick at alcove asked me if i had anything i sent her a different book because i wasn't you know i was hedging my bets mm -hmm. and uh, she rightly told me that it wasn't ready but did i have something else and i i you know i i pulled up my pants and i said here <laughs> You know, I, I think I'm ready, you know, I'm ready to take a risk and I've been quiet for so long, you know, I'm going to see what happens. And she responded very positively to it. Uh, she really, really, really resonated with her and she, uh, mm. she, you know, optioned it. And um, 
then I, I knew I could make it better. And that's where I spent an intense like three months hmm. revising it and polishing it and adding things to it. And then, you know, and I got her notes and then she, you know, sparked some ideas. Um, so I think if you, if you were to read the first rough draft, you would see, you know, the beginnings of the story. But I think what I ended up with and what I finally, when I finally had to say, I have to stop. Like, I just need to turn it in and, and not tweak it anymore or not, you know, obsess about it. Um, I think it is the book that it could only be with all those years between the yes. first draft and to that, you know, me saying to myself, I'm going to go for it. And I'm going to mm. I'm going to finally say this book deserves to be read. All right. I wonder about any challenges with, uh, well, so, I mean, the book is written in first, is, is written in present tense. There are flashbacks we talk about, but like, you know, it's not, he said, it's, you know, he says, mm -hmm. but just uh, first person. And it's, I believe it's only the sisters who get the wheel, right? The sisters, Maritza and Dulcina, who goes by Dooley and then Claudia. And, but they're, you know, they are the narrators of the different chapters mm -hmm. and there are a lot of chapters. So like, I wonder about how you're able to keep like a consistency. You talk about doing it over so many years. Like, you know, I, I kind of liken it to if I were to stop recording right now and then we stopped, rec we started recording again in 40 minutes, like maybe my you know throat is scratchy or, you know what mm -hmm. I mean? Like keeping that consistency. How are you able to keep a consistency, a seamlessness throughout the voices? For me, each sister was always very distinct. Okay. Uh, even Maritza, because at first she was, the, I think, the cloudiest for me. Like I had the hardest time connecting with her on a personal level. Mm -hmm. um, but they all were very distinct characters. Um, and the trick was, I mean, I don't know. I make things difficult for myself, but to me, it just makes sense. I wrote the, the chapters in sequence. So I never, you know, I knew I wanted to balance out who got a chapter when and what mm -hmm. followed what. So no sister had back-to-back -back chapters. You know, each right. chapter has a beginning, middle, and end. Then you go to the next chapter, and that's the, the other sister. Um, so I wrote, you know, it opens with Maritza, then goes to Claudia, then goes to Dooley, then goes back, you know. So I wrote it in that order. Mm -hmm. um, I think what I did when I started to refine it, uh, first of all, there was a lot of cussing in the book. Yeah. And, <laughs> there was a lot like I went through and I counted and I was like, well, that's a lot of variations of the F word. And then I realized the only one who would probably cuss is Claudia. Mm -hmm. uh, and it would be out of character for Maritza to cuss like she, you know, she's very like kind of ladylike. Mm -hmm. uh, and Dooley is probably did most of her cussing while drunk. So she's sober now. She doesn't cuss. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then I, you know, so Claudia got all the F words. And there are certain word choices because as sisters, they grew up together. And so they would have some similarities, but I kept certain speech patterns to one sister and certain, like, instead of saying, um, you know, like anyways, Maritza says anyways, you know, cause she's kind of bright, like forget what I was talking about, yeah, you know, yeah. maybe so, the deeper thing I might've touched on anyways, let's move on from that. Mm -hmm. um, so in my head, while I was writing it, I could hear their voices and they had different tempos, you know, different pitches. Uh, 
until the, when they were all together, then in my own mind, like, you know, they all started to sound like their inflections maybe went more East LA, you know, instead of, you know, Claudia's modulated to be, you know, like have not, not have an accent anymore. Hmm. Was there a lot of reading out loud then? I, you know, I did read some things out loud and there was also this kind of reading like, you know, <laughs> you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, <laughs> you know, just to kind of, uh, sometimes you do have to hear it, uh, yeah. uh, because for me, I mean, there's a, a constant conversation in my head. Um, hmm. and sometimes you have to say it out loud to say like, would somebody really say this? Um, especially for me with, with male characters, uh, I think men have a much different word choice in different tempo uh, than, uh, than, you know, the way women talk. So I've always been very, you know, I listen to people. And so when I'm writing dialogue for a male character or even inner dialogue, I have to ask myself, does this sound like a man? Mm -hmm. um, and when I do read books where the man does not sound like a man, I get really annoyed because not many men, I, I, I read this one hockey series, like, you know, during COVID, uh, the first lockdown, I just read this whole series of hockey based romance books. <laughs> and one of the hockey players who was like a defenseman, and uh, he said the word fabulous. And I was like, No, <laughs> it's the word fabulous, you know, and uh, I think for me, it's just one of those things, since I do listen, I'm a, you know, a pretty good listener. Mm -hmm. I try to really make dialogue sound believable. Yeah. Well, that's so cool to hear. I'm sure it was a lot of strain on you all the the rewriting and writing you know of the of the audio part of it but it's like it's so cool to hear how much work you put into because it, it comes off you know smoothly you don't as a reader you don't think about it which is i think the point right i hope you don't think about it i mean yeah. i i think that would take you out of the story exactly um, i love dialogue i i really do love writing dialogue it, it's one of my because i mean what's better than than a, a like a a really good back and forth conversation with someone where it's like a tennis match, you know, in real yeah. life, I really enjoy the, when I do get with somebody who's very verbal mm -hmm. uh, and we can go back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Uh, that to me is, is just such a joy and a treat. Um, and when you, you know, when you write for a, li a living, you can do that in your imagination um, and you can have a perfectly tuned conversation. You, um, did you ever watch the Gil the Gilmore Girls? I when it first came out and yeah. it was yeah I tried to watch it again and it actually was too fast for me. <laughs> well, yeah, I'm, I'm I mean I, I have a small sample size to to draw from and obviously as a man, but like I remember watching it and I was just like, their dialogue is like too good, mm -hmm. <laughs> like just like every every comment was just like you know had like a historical illusion or was like mm. peppy and snappy. Your the dialogue in your book was was so fun <laughs> and you know you know it was just so like snappy but like realistic and um you know i mean claudia just had some zingers claudia you know okay i will admit i think you did ask one part that did make me laugh out loud and and i had to pat myself on the back <laughs> was where she, when you. her um assistant uh she sends it when she's like talking about her sending her assistant out to get her dry cleaning and yeah, her yeah. juice and her, and she says I don't give an f what she drives to pick up my sandwich or whatever and I found that so funny you know like who wouldn't want to just have that kind of attitude um, yeah. um and I think that was a really good use of the f word too um, right. for me it was.
because you know i think the f word is is for me it's one of my favorite words it really <laughs> really is and uh wh when i get to use it in a way that is just so pointy and yeah. so casual yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> in real life i mean to have that moment where something like that pops out of your mouth and you you know i mean every so i'm a very like i said very verbal person and i know i can rat a tat sometimes you know um and uh it's it's a lot of fun you know to have a really high powered conversation it does get exhausting right. after a right. while you know right. But I've, you know, I've here and there, I've had some a really, really good conversations with people, even sometimes when it was one sided and I was just basically using them like, you know, when you play handball and you're just hitting that ball against the wall. <laughs> when oh, I, you yeah. know, so, they're, oh, they're the wall in that comparison. They're Dang. the wall. Yes. Uh, and, you know, sometimes they look, they stand there because, you know, they're kind of stunned. But um, conversation and word choice and snappy dialogue. I appreciate that um, as, you know, as a consumer too. Mm. So yeah. Mm. yeah, thank you for that. Dialogue is definitely one of my weaknesses. And I, but I, I appreciate as a writer myself, but I appreciate the, when people pull it off for sure. The book starts off with a description of, of the parents mm -hmm. and, you know, the idea of their mother, the girl's mother, very, um, does not want Marisa, who's about to get married, does not want her to wear white. It's her second marriage, right? Which is disappointing the mom. Mom's a churchgoer, right? Marisa later says, I didn't, that she, she writes, she talks about how she didn't budget for a gazebo. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, says a lot about her where she says, it doesn't mean I don't have a plan. I know exactly what I'm doing. I always have, you know, she works for the Kims, mm -hmm. right? She's like, I mean, it seemed like maybe only they're like only employee. Yes. Right. It's I a mean, family business. Yeah. It's a family mm -hmm. business. She's been with them for years. You know, the way that she's able to like scold Mr. Kim, you know, it could mm -hmm. only happen if, you know, he's been, she's been part of the family. So yeah, she's, I don't know. She did see is not the word because she's very smart. She's, you know, she's, she, she's been saving money for her house, but she's like, I don't know. She's like Disney princess romantic. How would you describe, how would you describe Maritza? She's not a, like you said, she's not, she's not like a bad girl. She hasn't gotten in trouble. She's, she lives at home as the youngest. Mm -hmm. She's spoiled, but not excessively so. I would say she's smart, but not sophisticated. Uh -huh. And she's also very stunted. Um, okay, that makes sense. And she is unpleasant. She is. Period. Yeah. <laughs> uh, period. And There's, I no think... but? There's no but there? No, she is yeah. an unpleasant person. Uh -huh. um, and she has a princess complex right um she is not a bad person though but she's maybe somebody you don't want to hang around with <laughs> and, and i think i mean in talking to other people especially uh, people with sisters or you know female cousins or, or female friends mm. everyone knows a a, a maritza mm. uh, or you know or shades of maritza um it doesn't you know I think for me, uh, I grew to love Maritza more and more, e even though at first I felt very disconnected from her. Yeah. Um, and throughout the book, I think she, when I said to myself that her story was just as valid as Dulcina's and Claudia's, um, I, her stuntedness, I think, spoke volumes to me. Mm -hmm. um, and I know some people want an arc you know, want sure. a character to redeem themselves. And such as in life, some people don't go past a certain point. Uh, mm -hmm. And 
it took place in a month. So Maritza's not going to go from stunted to a fully actualized woman in four weeks. Yeah, yeah, yeah of course not. Not going to happen mm-hmm. ever. Right. right. <laughs> There's no therapy in her future. She is. Yeah. She is as she was, as Claudia says. She is as she was. Yeah, definitely. That's a great way to describe it. And um, yeah, I mean, I think maybe there's something natural about kind of the reader being drawn to her as like the protagonist, mm-hmm. if you had be, just because she's first mm-hmm. in the line, right? But um, but we get obviously an, an equal. We hear from from the others equally. She's she is bent on this marriage, and as mm-hmm. the book goes on, you you're, all, you're just saying why why you know, <laughs> Augie is. Agustino, is that his name? Agustino, yes. Agustino, you know all the little nice little tricks you have. He's he's Augie. He's a mama's boy mm-hmm. to the extreme, right? And you know he doesn't he doesn't seem to be a terrible guy. We learn some stuff towards the end that might change our mind, but mm-hmm. you know he doesn't seem to be a terrible guy. He's just mm-hmm. he's just immature. He's he's stunted. He's you know we know a lot of of man man children like him, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe I have some of those. Right? But, you know he's a video game player. He's still living at home, etc. My Italian grandmother would have said, I think it's the same as Testadura, right? Marissa. <laughs> she is stubborn, 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 yes. stubborn. She <laughs> is going to go through with it no matter if there are 27 red flags, right? Right, because they're all her flags, you know? Uh-huh. She's going to do what she wants to do, yes. period. Uh, and uh, you have to, in, in a certain way, admire or have you somebody that has the gall to do that. Mm. Uh, and you know, they're not going to get, she's not going to get in trouble. Right? right. But just to go ahead and do it. Um, I would pat someone on the back. I think that is, what she ends up doing is probably the most honest thing in the book. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, no doubt about it. We have, we have Claudia, you know, who has moved out. She, like you said, she's, she's, taught herself or learned to, to quote unquote not speak like Boa Hyde. She's modulated was a term you used. You know, she went to was a Princeton, right? Mm-hmm. She went to Princeton. She's a big time, you know, she's a big time producer in Hollywood. And but she's also the is she the oldest? She's the middle sister. She's the middle, okay. Mm-hmm. But she has a lot of older, you know, older sister qualities. She she took care of Dooley on so many occasions, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes I mean quietly. You know, mm-hmm. Dooley, you know, we'll talk about had some had definitely had some substance abuse issues. But Claudia is is a giver for sure, um, is a helper of her sisters, even if, you know, when they get into trouble, they sometimes have their own making. Claudia has her issues. I mean, the sisters are at odds at the beginning. You talk about it takes place over a month, but you know, for, for, we find out a lot about why they went their separate ways. Mm-hmm. 99% of it was, well, a lot of it was external, mm-hmm. right. It was, was outside of their, of their agency. Um, but, you know, so Claudia's, you know, she has to put up with being a woman in a male dominated society. She has to put up with being a Latina in a, you know, white male dominated society. Talk about some of the just, easy when i say easy i mean like common like sexual harassment that she would take mm-hmm. you know haha she'd have to laugh it off or you know she she knows how to to get by in that world and sometimes that's cussing somebody out sometimes that's you know i mean she's she's very uh, versatile in the way that she can respond she's she's got issues with with eating maybe part mm-hmm. of it's just she's so busy um but you know she's very much about what she can control she does her yoga Mm-hmm. for a while before it gets to be too much you know she exercises the heck out of her, uh, herself 
but she just, just something's just not right with her. Mm -hmm. Um, she just doesn't feel, you know, she doesn't feel like she's home. She has a nice place in uh, studio city. She's making good money, but she doesn't quite, she doesn't love her job. She, uh, there's a lot of reasons for sure that she, why she wouldn't. Um, but I wonder about like you, I mean, from the outside, you seem like you really nailed the Hollywood thing. Mm -hmm. I mean, did you, do you have experience in Hollywood? Do you, did you do research? I think uh, I did research and I think I did draw on my experience of at times being the only Latina in, uh, uh, you know, in the office in or in at the dinner table or, mm. you know, a, in a social group. Um, and I sometimes people would forget I was Latina or and then or sometimes I was the you know, the, it's the small world representation of all the cultures because just I like was, the father sorry to interrupt you just like the father in the story about like right like his neighbors were were the vietnamese were vietnamese he called them chinos but like they're great people so therefore they're all great people is that right that, yeah i mean yeah basically i mean that's that's how claudia is claudia stands in for a lot of people okay. by virtue of just being a latina and, and a woman um mm -hmm. and i for me i've had experiences where all of a sudden you realize that people are looking to you to um, be like a panacea to their own uh, you know, whiteness, let's put it that way. Uh, especially now, I think that's more prevalent now that people are much more, well, you know, for better or for worse, much more aware of disparity. Uh, some people are, are threatened by it uh, and want to go, you know, back to the where we were literally segregated, um, and, and other people are you know i think i think there's just a heightened awareness uh right. and and when claudia is in her environment in 2003 she has to she doesn't make an, any apologies for being a latina mm -hmm. or you know a quarter jewish and a quarter italian or a, a woman um, and i think she realizes how her presence unnerves people and she uses that to her, her advantage and she also i think gets mm. off on it hmm yeah like interesting that. interesting um no she so she's talking about like her views towards her mom and dad and she writes quote if either of them could have been even a modicum unlike how they were and and as they still are i could possibly be a well-adjusted adult by now instead i still struggle with childish grievances i can't seem to extricate from the deepest part of my mind parts of my mind unquote she's she's gone to therapy <laughs> yes. And I think, I think every, you know, I think you talk to anyone who's gone to therapy and it always comes back to your damn parents, <laughs> you know? And uh, I think that's one of the frustrations with being uh, for her, for being so self-aware and so smart. Mm -hmm. She logically knows what the problem is. Right. Uh, but even knowing what the problem is and having, you know, plenty of therapy, having it acknowledged, Mm -hmm. still doesn't make it any less of a problem. For right, her. right, right. There's a great um, distinction that's made in the book where she she takes care of herself, this and that. I mean, hair, hair removal, you know, salon type things, mm -hmm. obviously the gym and working out exercise. So she takes care of herself, but she hasn't always been kind to herself. I think you, if you talk to a lot of women who are in, uh, who've achieved a certain amount of success, Mm -hmm. I think they would tell you the same thing mm. that they, you know, that outwardly they're very people. It's hard for somebody when you're in a place of success for people to maybe look 
or realize how hard it is to get there um, mm -hmm. and how hard on yourself you have to be to right. be successful, especially for a woman, especially coming from a place where success, uh, hard work isn't equated to success. And I, I think mm -hmm. this is something I've struggled with in, with, in my own family, family culture. Hard work is expected. Uh, success makes people uncomfortable. Mm. So uh, she definitely has decided to work hard at being successful. Mm-hmm. Right. So we, you know, we talked about Marissa and she, um, you know, so she has Augie and she really feels like this guy owes me. Mm -hmm. Right. She's forcing the wedding. She, she never, so she, she we talked about, she had a first marriage. She never mentions the name of her ex-husband. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm sure that was probably on purpose mm -hmm. in her head and, and you and writing it. She's focused at home and life at work. There's a story that's really Ill illustrative of just her personality that I think Claudia tells, Claudia tells about the Maraschino cherries. Mm -hmm. I wonder if you could talk about how that kind of sums up Maritza in many ways. Well, I remember as a kid, Maraschino cherries were a big deal. Yeah. Um, and I was in the thick of uh, polishing the novel and doing rewrites and just kind of smoothing out and adding color. Uh, and I went to the supermarket and I did the thing where you kind of wander around in a daze. And I found myself in front of literally Maraschino cherries. And I thought, well, what is a kid? We coveted maraschino cherries. We would always ask for one or two more, you know? Uh, and I thought, well, what would happen if I just bought a whole jar of them, mm -hmm. you know? Um, and I went back and, you know, I was polishing her chapter, uh, the, Claudia's chapter. And I, you know, she's thinking about Maritza and I, what would embody Maritza? You know, just uh, foolish gluttony uh, and, and hiding and secrets and, uh, doing something that Claudia knew was going to make her sick and having to let her sister right. do that and watching her sister gorge herself on maraschino cherries and, and the syrup, how sweet, I mean, I can mm. taste it myself. I know how sweet it is, but as a little girl, you know, she didn't know any better. Um, she didn't know not to accept the, you know, the, the jar in the first place, not to open it and not to eat mm -hmm. at all. And uh, I think it just, um, you know, Maritza is still the same. She's still scooping up the cherries, you know, with, with the wedding and with everything else. Uh, she's still a very secretive, greedy girl. Mm, yeah. Which is, which is sad, honestly. It really is sad. Yeah, I mean, she and she really, you know, dumps on Augie's family. I mean, they, um, she just, she's always making fun of of her future sister and sisters in law and her mother in law, and just, you know, the word like he says, unpleasant. Mm -hmm. um, does she, you know, again, you know, some things happen towards the end, like you said. There's that, um, she makes that honest decision towards the end, right? But mm -hmm. like, I don't know, towards the beginning of the book, does she love Augie? I think she, no, I don't think she is capable of love. Ouch. Uh, I don't think she is. And yeah. I, I, you know, I think she is, um, I, you know, I think she's very much like the mother, uh, mm -hmm. incapable of love. And that's not her fault. Um, you know, um, I think uh, Dooley and Claudia, I think Dooley loves her now sober unconditionally and Claudia loves her with conditions. Um, mm. But I don't think uh, Maritza is capable of love. And that's okay with Maritza because she doesn't know any different. Mm. Um, I think she's with Augie because she's with Augie. And yeah. it works out for both of them. 
Um, nobody's forcing Augie to do anything. He's going along with it. So I think you can lay the blame at his feet just as much as, mm. uh, you know, at, at hers. Uh, but, you know, I, I think if you think about, and I mean, I know a lot of people, there's, you know, there are, it, the Maritza mentality is not that uncommon, mm. uh, you know, especially with people who have uh, experienced uh, some sort of trauma that, you know, emotionally stunts them. Uh, and that, you know, as smart as she is and as capable as she is, she's still operating from a place of wanting all the cherries. Yeah, 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 yeah. Heck of a metaphor. Yeah. <laughs> So one of the lines is uh, from Claudia, Dooley, Maritza, and I took care of each other up until we chose to go in different directions. Dooley had her art and her anger. I decided college would be my escape. And Maritza watched one Disney movie after another when she wasn't reading romance novels. So we talked about Maritza. We talked about Claudia. So Dooley had her art and her anger. And she went to San Francisco mm -hmm. and she you know, did the tattoo artist thing for a while. She was a bartender. She was a couple other odd jobs, I'm sure, right? A waitress. And a waitress. A house, house cleaner. Yeah. And she's she's the artsy type. She's kind of like, uh, I don't know, bohemian. Would that be safe to say? I think she is exactly. She never she's I think she's the only sister who doesn't define herself other than saying that she's now sober. Hmm. I mean, Claudia Maritza uh, would prefer to be 100 percent Latina. Uh, Claudia, you know, is, is juggling multiple, you know, identities. Um, but uh, Dooley is just Dooley. I think Dooley spent so much of her time being under the influence of something or, and especially under the influence of her own anger, that now she is finally in a place where she's starting, she is who herself, you know, and uh, yeah. she doesn't feel a need to um, put a label on herself. Yeah. You know? But she is artistic, and uh, that's one of the things that was very important for me to touch on, uh, you know, that she just wasn't a screw-up. She just wasn't, right. like the, I think what the terminology is now is the identified patient, you know, mm. like the trouble, the troublesome one. Um, like a trope, she, like an archetype type of thing? Yeah, I mean, I wanted Limited. her to be a full person, but mm -hmm. she wasn't a full person until she, you know, until now. Because yeah. before she was just lashing out at herself and other people. Right. Um, and, and we didn't, get, you know, we don't get all, we don't get a lot of that. We get like flashbacks. We get like de summary of it. We don't, you know, we don't, we don't um, experience it while it's going on with her substance mm -hmm. abuse so much. Um, but we do get the idea, right. That she, even, even then in some of the worst of it, she was kind of steady. I mean, she would, even if she was out till four in the morning partying, she'd be up at six for, for work for the mm -hmm. most part. Right. I mean, she wasn't an absolute waste, like you said. So you can't, you know, she can't, she's not someone that can be reduced down to like those stereotypes. So she's saying goodbye to San Francisco. Um, you know, her, her, um, drug selling slash drug addict, um, subletter or, you know, Lisa is trying to pull her back. And Wyatt, who was this, this author that she meets, you know, this writer that she meets at the cafe, but she felt like, hey, this is the thing I need to do. And, um, she she writes about being you know being brave in going to rehab and even in leaving san francisco and like i talked about earlier you know claudia is this quiet and loving angel 
is that like you said when when dul um dulcina or when Dooley gets gets sober she looks back and she's like man some of the things that claudia did for me mm. when i was at my my lowest right even when she gets robbed in big sur so she decides to drive back to la right for the mm -hmm. wedding and everything even then she is able to kind of keep her herself about her so it's a good time to get into the to the parents right because if we're talking about the three girls you talked about the father's being ineffectual is he did he just fall out of love like so long ago now it's just like oh geez i need someone or something to distract me from it like what is what's his deal for me the parents um they had a profound effect on their daughters without actively parenting um right. and I've heard, you know, I, you can't help but, you know, read reviews and some people uh, are bothered that the parents are more fully fleshed out. But when I was writing the book, I was coming from a mindset where the parents were present, but the children, you know, especially Claudia had to take on a parental role for both mm -hmm. of her sisters. So they basically parented themselves. I think of all three of the sisters, Maritza is probably getting the most parenting because she won't leave the house. Yeah. <laughs> you know, she won't leave the nest. So she's still, you know, she's now the main daughter. Um, I think, you know, as a parent, I had to, I've had to take a look at myself as a person, a mother, and a, and a parent, and those, you know, and a woman, and all those things are different. Um, and how did they play into the type of person that I ended up raising? Um, mm and uh you know like oh my god what did i do kind of moments so i think this book was the reverse of that it's like yes my parents did what they did or didn't do what they didn't do and that's had enormous consequences on each of the characters um but in the end it's not their story right um, you know and uh i was okay with not making them with just you know they were vague people uh mm -hmm. unless they weren't um and that's why I think the mother comes off as very passive until you realize that's an act. Uh, and that's the way she maintains control by literally being dead weight, hmm. um, dead emotional weight. And, you know, the, the dad has checked out. I mean, he's not going to divorce her. What is, you know, no. he, he, he's going to, they're going to remain married forever. And he's going to spend as much time on the porch as possible. Definitely. And, you, I mean that I I know people who have marriages like that. I mean, mm -hmm. they, they may not have a porch, but they're in separate rooms, right? Sure, sure. Yeah, I mean, you know, there's they 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 call him daddy. Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, there's you no, know, there's mm -hmm. some kind of sweet moments we talked about, like, you know, he was a car lover and they all got to know cars because he would take them all out and he never he never limited them because just because they're women, just because they're girls. He you know, they taught him how he taught him all the things he would teach anyone else. You know, there's even there's a great double kind of double uh, entendre, a double meaning where going back to Dooley as she's getting sober, she says, I'm here mm -hmm. physically, mentally, emotionally, triple sentido, whatever um, to Ethan. We haven't talked about Ethan. Ethan mm -hmm. is Ethan Jacobs. He's a Hollywood star who, um, you know, Claudia is in, in some ways pushing him away or maybe not believing that this could be true. Mm -hmm. He is too good to be true. He's. You know, he's a Tom Cruise's handsome. Mm -hmm. <laughs> he's he's a legitimately nice guy, right? Mm -hmm. We don't learn anything otherwise. And he loves Claudia. Mm -hmm. I wonder how maybe this this Cold War, if you will, between mother and father, maybe how that affected Claudia and her romantic relationship, do you think? 
Well, I think she's doing her best to torpedo her relationship with, you know, which could be a very loving, I think it's unconditional love. And she's not used to getting unconditional love. Mm -hmm. And he loves her unconditionally and is in love with her. And for somebody who has control issues like Claudia, there's nothing more threatening than that. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, when I was writing him, I did, I did think about the really good men in my life and the good men who I've been lucky enough to, to call friends um, and to just see how they interact, you know, with their spouses or girlfriends or just, just a decent man. And, you know, you add the, the, the really hot sex and, you know, because that's... Man, you, part- wrote, you wrote some great <laughs> sex scenes, my God. Man. This is, a, I mean, honestly, I, if I said, you know, if I was going to go for it, because in real life, if you have the capacity to have that great sex, you're not going to just do it once. And in a book, sometimes you, you only get one sex scene. It's like, you know, you would do it as much right. as you possibly can. <laughs> so I think it was, um, you know, they have, she has a very active sex life with her, her lover, because that's what he is. And he's right. in love with her. Uh, and then Dooley is once again, exploring um sex as part of uh being sober for having sex for the first time as a sober woman um so you know just like with being very honest about some cultural hang-ups that that come with being uh from the latino community i was gonna i was you know gonna go i guess balls to the walls when it came to sex (laughs) i was like if i'm gonna do it i'm it's gonna be a lot of fun you know it's not gonna be a waste of time Right. It's not, I don't think it's gratuitous, but it is very blunt. Um, and I, you know, I've heard from people that they really enjoy that. And this is the first time I wrote just sex for the sake of pleasure. Um, mm. And like, uh, and I, and I've said this before, I think at the place I am as a writer and a woman, uh, you know, my kid is graduated. I don't have to, if he wants to read my books, whatever, that's his problem. <laughs> he can pay for his own therapy. Um, <laughs> I think my books are going to deal with sex and sexuality in a much more honest and pleasurable way, because I do yeah. think that's part of the human experience. Definitely. So like if there's a, if there's another printing, I mean, the cover is awesome, but if you need to get Fabio on there about <laughs> 10 or 12 years ago, LAX, I ran into Fabio. I ran into oh. Fabio. I have a, I have a picture with him. Oh. The reason I was randomly holding my, I had my, my, my laundered clothes, my clean from the cleaners for some reason. <laughs> but if you ever need to get Fabio, let me know. Okay. I'll, you know, yeah. the, the funny thing is I, I used to read a lot of romance novels and he right? was on the cover of most of them. <laughs> this was 10 years ago. And he was probably 55. He's still looking good. He's still looking well, good. Well, you know, it's yeah. his job. He yeah, had a boo-hoo. I'm not going to cry for him. <laughs> right. Exactly. I spent exactly. a lot of time on this. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> right. Like Claudio would say, man, the, you know, the girl's, towards the end they there there is a you know they do come together i mean they're literally sleeping in the same bed mm-hmm. at time because of different circumstances right there's you know such great snappy dialogue there's some clowning on each other but that's you know that's what brothers and sisters do mm-hmm. um you know and then we we do get to learn and i remember i was i was chatting with you on, on instagram or twitter back and i was like oh cool before i knew about the book i was like oh cool neapolitan and naples and mm-hmm. the ice cream and this and that and you were saying something like it's it's a little darker and it, and it for sure is, mm-hmm. but you know, so we have these three sisters who it's like the Neapolitan ice cream sandwich, right? It's got three flavors in it. And, um, you know, they do the girls, like you talk about with, with the lack of parenting, um, you know, they start to talk more about Mrs. Flores, who was kind of a, 
a bruja in the neighborhood, right? Who would make them do something, <laughs> exactly. who would make them work hard and, and grab them by the neck if they weren't doing the right things. And, you know, they get back into their, their fun things like jinx, mm -hmm. like kids would, right? I'm sure they would probably do shotgun for the fr front seat in the car and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So there's some really good memories and some really bad memories. Um, they're, but they're unified. Mm -hmm. um, and then the stories really, you know, do start to kind of branch out more at the end. Um, and, you know, there is a scene that I'm not going to ruin, but the scene or scenes in the in the old folks home mm -hmm. are just if we're looking at a craft basis. I mean, that's some great writing out of a mm -hmm. out of a crime novel. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Or something like that. We we identify with Dooley maybe as much as we can. And, we, you know, just this whole idea, and it sounds so trite, but just that we get to know about why people are the way they are. We learn about what happened to them as kids, what didn't happen to them as kids. And, you know, just, you know, therapy and, and what that has helped with and what that hasn't. And so, again, I'm I'm, I'm tiptoeing, trying not to, to ruin what happens in the ending. But there's no there's no Disney Hollywood ending like Marissa would have liked. Right. You talked about why that is. And just the way that you really brought the stories together and then let them branch out, I think, was just so successful. You talked about you knew when you were done, kind of like I have to be done. Mm -hmm. When did you know you were done, though, with like the story itself, the plot? I always knew the beginning, middle and end. Um, yeah. And there was a process, especially when I was re revising and polishing it. Uh, and, you know, I, I got the notes back from Tony of. I needed to make sure there was. I said as much as I could without overstuffing the book and without mm -hmm. overwriting and hitting people over the head with it. And I think some readers are, you know, have expressed frustration that it went too fast or, you know, I think it happened at the pace it was supposed to happen because first of all, it's my book Yeah, <laughs> and it makes sense to me. Some things remain unresolved because that's how life is. And that's how I, life wasn't, is. I wasn't, I'm not writing a fantasy novel. I'm not right. writing a romance novel. I wrote a novel about three complicated, difficult, complex characters. Um, and just when you meet someone, when, you know, when you meet interesting people, their stories are sometimes unresolved. Um, and depending on which way the story goes, either it's going to be, you know, a, a good ride for you or you're going to tap out. And, you know, I've had the pleasure, I have had some friends for one of my fr best friend, Maria, you know, she's you know, more, how old is my son, you know, like 20 years, she's been my friend. And I've had a, you know, recently had a friendship that I just tapped out of in dramatic fashion. Um, and I think that's the same thing for me as a writer. Um, I want to tell a good story, but I'm okay with having an unresolved ending because to me, that mm. seems much more realistic. Yeah. Um, you know, maybe things work out with Ethan and Claudia. Uh, maybe they don't. And if they don't, it's Claudia's fault. I can tell you that right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, Dooley, she's got, she might stay sober, but she might substitute sex for, for alcohol and drugs. And, and Maritza is Maritza. Um, you, you get what you get. And uh, if you get upset, she doesn't care. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, no, I, I just I think that, like you said, that, that's the way life is. And I the, the great books like this one, for me, they're like they keep you guessing or they keep you thinking past the pages. Right. Like I'm thinking about I, for me, I'm thinking Claudia and Ethan will stay together. I would hope so. But who knows, of course. Right. I would you know, I would hope she really allows herself to mm -hmm. be loved. Uh, and I think right. she is. You know, in her inner dialogue in her last chapter, 
she is coming to terms with uh, it's okay to allow someone else to be to give her care instead of her being the caregiver. Yep, yep for sure. Uh, and I think that's something, you know, if you are put in a position for whatever reason of being the responsible person, the person that has to fix everything, mm-hmm. it's it's hard for her to acknowledge that she doesn't have to be in control. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the book is exceedingly deep and profound. It's heavy, and I mean that in a positive way. Mm-hmm. And just, I mean, plot-wise, it's just like, dang, such a great page turner. Um so if it becomes a movie, who plays Claudia? Who plays uh, Ethan? You know, I like Chris Evans. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I can see that. He seems like he's like a really good guy, right? Like, like if you want a decent progressive. Man. Yeah, yeah, yes. yeah. Chris um, Evans. Okay, I can see that. And I think for, I mean, you know, you do fantasy casting. And I I have been looking at, you know, faces and names. And for I Claudia, for me, you know, there's a few... Um, Maybe you know few, but I think Selena Gomez would make a good Dooley. Yeah. Uh, and, oh, Dooley. Uh, oh, okay. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I okay. think that's a very meaty role, and uh, I think she's dark. I mean, okay. Okay. <laughs> there's some head in dark, and yeah. she also, you know, Dooley is coming from a dark place, and now and is a very expansive. Yeah. She's feeling her emotions for the first time in her life. Yeah. She's not afraid of them. Um. So I mean, I think I like that. that's. Okay. What, People uh, really do like Dooley uh, because mm-hmm. she is very, I think uh, you have a lot of empathy and compassion for her. Yeah. Um, but, you know, you also have to realize she was an incredibly difficult person to live with and grow up with. And mm. that's hinted, you know, by the flashbacks. And, in you know, at one point, uh, Maritza says that, well, Dooley can't get mad at me because, you know, it's not, you know, so there was a lot of, I mean, I think anyone who's grown up with a, a a family member that or knows a friend or, or you know married to somebody who has substance abuse problems they're they're a-holes they're jerks you know and uh, they suck the life out of a room mm. um, but you know these sisters um, Claudia never gave up on on Dooley um, mm. and uh, Dooley is indebted and, and grateful you know for for the mm. love that that her sister was able to show her. Um, so I think when it comes to playing, you know, I didn't think about who in my mind while I was writing this. I just thought yeah. of them as their own people. Sure. But every so often I get asked that. And I think for the, for me, the easy answer, Ethan, is, is uh, Chris Evans. So <laughs> I think that's the only one. And it's Selena Gomez. And there's a few other like really good Latina actresses. But, you know, at this point, playing that game is uh for me it's kind of like naming the baby before it's born okay yeah 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 yeah, yeah. yeah. and that's bad luck <laughs> what you talked about tapping out i hope you don't tap out as far as writing do you have any any projects in the works or are you kind of taking a break uh well i've been you know really uh promoting this book and and trying to get the word out um and, uh, you know, I do, I have actually, I'm, I'm right now in the process of, I'm looking for a new agent, unfortunately. Uh, um, and so I just got su- uh, a, a submission request. So she said, send me two drafts of two books that I have done. Mm-hmm. And then I'm working on a third. Um, and it's, uh, it's wow. open on my desktop. <laughs> okay. Okay. So, you know, hopefully the next book, I, I'll have some good news uh, relatively yeah. soon. Awesome. Well, tell us like uh, any good local bookstores, where should we buy the book? You know, is, is it all good? Do you have particular ones you love for us to, to patronize? 
Well, I do like, you know, I'm a big fan of Barnes and Noble. I've got, you know, I, I love walking through their, yeah. their store and then they, you know, they have their, their sale books, like those big art books that you okay. can pick up. Um, books Inc. here in San Francisco is, is a mm. place where I actually do go in and, and lay down full price for books. Yeah. Ooh, man. Okay. <laughs> so it's a treat. Yeah. Um, and there are, you know, I, I do a lot of walking, so uh, I do clock bookstores in the neighborhood. And there are, mm. thankfully, there are a lot of small independent bookstores mm -hmm. in San Francisco. Nice. But I think, you know, on the whole, you know, I, I do browse Amazon, uh, but Barnes and Noble, you know, Books Inc., um, Green Apple Books. Uh, so okay. There are a few places that uh, I am spending my hard-earned cash in. <laughs> yes. Yes. Well, people are going to be hearing this on, I, I think uh, this will be January 31st or so. So it's payday, you know, in a day or so. <laughs> Go out there, buy it on bookshop.org, buy it on yes. Barnes & Noble. We talk about Green Apple. What was it? Books, Inc. You know, Books, wherever, um, you know, and uh, it's such a good book. It's such a good read. We talk about like heavy. Mm. It's profound. And it's just a heck of a story. Just a storyline. So congrats. And it's been such a pleasure talking to you. I wish you great luck in the future. Thank you. And you know, one thing that would help if people do to write reviews, uh -huh. um, write and share reviews uh, for any author uh, that makes a huge difference. It's just, you know, it comes down to algorithms, which yeah. increase uh, visibility and viability. Um, and, um, you know, and if you have, I'm available on, on uh, Instagram, uh, Facebook and Twitter still. Yeah, I'm still on Twitter. And I'm, yeah, you know? <laughs> uh, so if anyone wants to drop me a note, uh, you know, Margot Candela is my handle across the board. Um, and then I have a website, MargotCandela.com and a newsletter that I'm newsletter. supposed to also be writing. Right yes. now. <laughs> it's due in a few days. Uh, so, <laughs> you know, the, the ways to procrastinate are immense. Right. <laughs> All of a sudden, you got to wash the windows or something, right? I did laundry today. <laughs> well, I will definitely put all those uh, put all those links in the episode notes. And um, you know, like I said, it's just been such a pleasure talking to you and uh, to a, a fellow NorCaler. I know you're originally from mm -hmm. from LA, and we both miss LA. You're from there originally. I'm not, but we both miss. I it. miss Portos and my friend. Oh Monique. my God! Yes, <laughs> yes, yes, yes. But again, wish you good luck, and uh, you know, maybe when the next couple ones come out, we can talk again. I'm not going anywhere. There you go. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to episode 163 with Margot Candela. You can now subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Please leave a five-star review. You can also ask for it by name using Alexa and find it on Stitcher, Spotify, and on Amazon Music. Follow me on Instagram where I'm at Chills at Will Podcast or on Twitter where I'm at Chills at Will PO1. Sign up now for the Chills at Will Podcast Patreon. It can be found at patreon.com backslash chills at will podcast Peter Real. And my last name is R-I-E-H-L. Patreon.com backslash chills at will podcast Peter Real. Check out the page that describes the benefits of a Patreon membership, including cool swag and bonus episodes. Thanks in advance for supporting my one-man show, my DIY podcast, and my extensive reading, research, editing, and promoting to keep this independent podcast pumping out high-quality content. The intro song for the Chills of Will podcast is Wind Down, and the other song played on the episode was Hoops Instrumental by Matt Whitehour. Both songs are used through archesaudio.com. Please tune in for episode 164 with Yasmin Ramirez. She is a 2021 Martha's Institute of Creative Writing Author Fellow, as well as a 2020 recipient of the Woody and Gail Hunt Aspen Institute Fellowship Award. 
Her outstanding memoir is Andale Prieta. Mm. This episode will air on February 3rd. For now, thanks again for listening. I hope that these uncertain days bring you texts by writers with mad skills like Margot Candela, whose work, like the Neapolitan Sisters, gives you chills at will. Mm.